Thank you for joining us today on the Reach Community Church Podcast. We hope this week's message encourages and blesses you as we dive into God's Word together. Our mission at Reach is to see lives changed by Christ together in community by loving God, loving people, and reaching our world. We'd love to have you join us next Sunday. You can learn more about our mission at reachcommunitychurch.com. Because he valued his treasure on earth more than he valued Jesus. And he left. And there's this weird conversation like people are like oh my gosh like how can people be saved then like how can be how how, how can you be saved and and jesus has this uh interesting um comment that says you know it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle and i don't want to try to get into all the potentials of what that means um this morning but let's just say that it's very difficult whichever category you put yourself in um, that it, it's easier for a, uh, a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter into heaven. Um, and then Jesus makes this statement. He said, what's impossible with man is possible with God. Amen. Which is what we're talking about today. And so this young man goes away and Jesus is still walking down the road and he encounters this blind man still in chapter 18. And he hears that Jesus of Nazareth is walking by, and he begins to yell out, Oh, son of David, have mercy on me. Have son of David, have mercy on me. And his disciples try to talk him down. They're like, hey, you know, like, shh, shh, leave leave the rabbi alone, leave the rabbi alone. And he took his chance. (laughs) He was like, and he kept yelling, and he kept yelling. And um, Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, I want to receive my sight. And he received his sight. It's crazy what links will go to when we think that something is possible? See, the young rich ruler wanted salvation. He, he wanted a eternity with God, but he didn't want to pay the price for it, which um, I've heard some people like, man, I don't want to give everything away either. Um, I think Jesus, and hear me on this, um, Jesus is after that one thing that you esteem more than him. And to the young rich ruler, it was his money. To you, it may be something completely different. And so then we pick up this story. Jesus is still traveling and, and kind of get this, the, um, the season this is in in Jesus' ministry. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's on his way to the cross. And this is the last major city that he's going to go into before going to Jerusalem. And we pick this up in Chapter 19, verse 1, and we're going to cover 10 verses. Verse 1, it says, He entered Jericho Jericho, and was passing through. And, and just for a reminder of those that, you know, last week we talked about the stones as they came through the Jordan. Jericho was the first city that they destroyed. The walls came down. And actually, I believe it was Joshua gave a, a curse for them to ever rebuild Jericho. And here it is, rebuilt. It's about a mile away, I think, from the original location. And Jesus is in it, walking into it. And I just want to, and I read this in a commentary, and I really like this. Um, there's nothing beyond Jesus' redemption. Even a cursed city with a potentially cursed man. Verse 2, And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was rich. 
So a chief tax collector meant that he's over other tax collectors. And for those that are unfamiliar with this, um, in this day and age, see, um, Israel was their own people. They wanted to be governed by their own king, and they were occupied by Rome. Rome had their people doing their things and ruling over there. And, and so when you occupy a town that's not yours or a country that's not yours, you get tax from them. And so what they do is they hire locals to collect money from the people to pay tax to Rome, to Caesar. Well, you can imagine the people of Israel were not very happy to, one, be occupied, and for two, to pay taxes to a foreign king that did not love their God, did not worship their God, and was, in their mind, wicked and evil. It's true. And Zacchaeus was a Hebrew. He was an Israelite that chose money over his people because when they um, choose being a tax collector, they isolate themselves from their families, from their people. No one wants to have anything to do with them because they're... Let's just, let's just put it this way. When Jesus is confronted by the people he's hanging out with, they grew, They always, and I said this like two weeks ago, they always lump tax collectors and sinners together. It's like, you know, it's like lawyers and sinners or whatever that word is, whatever your profession is. Like if you work at, at and I'm no, my brother's a lawyer, like no, no slight on, but you know, people say stuff about lawyers. Um, whatever your profession is, can you imagine your profession, um, them saying, hey, you know, teachers and sin, whatever that thing is. And again, not talking about teachers. Uh, I have an elementary education degree from, um, by the way, just never, never use it because the classroom is terrifying. Um, but he was a chief tax collector, so he was over other tax collectors. And the reason, most likely, that he was rich is because he had taken money from them. And so what the tax collectors would do, not only were they working for the enemy and collecting the enemy's tax, they would add to what was required so that they could put some money in their pocket. So they weren't very light. What's funny, and uh, we'll get this in just a second, Zacchaeus, his name, and, and, and in the, the people of Israel, names are very important. Meanings of names are very important. And Zacchaeus' names really, I mean, literally means righteous one, which is hilarious at the beginning of the story, but makes a lot of sense at the end. Verse 3, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature. Okay, Zacchaeus, a wee little man. A wee little man was he. He could not see, and we can assume, because this is towards the end of Jesus' ministry, that he is aware that one of the disciples of Jesus is a tax collector. So there's, there's that first potential glimmer of hope, of possibility. So he's heard, hey, this rabbi, he chose one of his own disciples out of us, out of a people that had been isolated and hated and shamed because of what they have done. And who knows, maybe he heard part of the Sermon on the Mount, maybe he heard some of the other teachings. Uh, for sure, he heard enough about Jesus that he's getting ready to act really silly for an adult man. And I want to say this before I get into what's going to say next. All he was hoping to do is see him. 
the rest of this story wasn't, hey, I'm about to have Jesus in my house, and I'm getting ready to have Jesus proclaim something over me. He was just like, I just want to see this person. And I, I believe, um, and I said this when we were praying before service, I, I believe that God woos us. God pursues us. And, and before, um, before we even knew that we wanted God, we can see, especially on the other side of our salvation, the other side of our testimony, we can go, man, here, here. We can pinpoint, I can pinpoint areas and times in my life where I saw God move. I saw God do things. I saw God pulling me, but I, I wasn't ready for that. I believe everybody that finally says yes to Jesus has had years, uh, if not decades of times, where Jesus was after them, pursuing them. Verse 4. So he ran on ahead and climbed into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass by. So um, I'm not a big fan of running. Although some people think that, you know, like I, I do like, I don't like to work out, but I do work out for other psychological reasons. Um, and, you know, like I, I don't enjoy running. I, I think running is odd. I talked to a guy this week on the phone. And he was like, yep, there's lots of reasons why I don't run because um, I don't enjoy it. Um, but to this, in this culture, to see an adult male just running would be unusual. Everybody would be like, is somebody chasing him? Is there a dog that came out of a house? Like, what's going on? And not only to run is unusual, but to climb a tree, and I'm sure he's in his best, because most rich people want everybody else to know that they're rich, so they're wearing nice things. So can you imagine this, you know, in our minds, mine, a, a suit and tie businessman running down the road, finding the best climbing tree that he can find and begin to climb it. Also that he could see Jesus. I think because Jesus brings it out in people, I, I think ultimately when we come face to face or get near Jesus, he begins to do things in us that are unexpected to even us. I'm sure he didn't wake up this morning and be like, hey, I'm about to lace up my running shoes because today is the day that I'm going to run in front of everyone. Uh, Matthew 18 Three it says, Truly I say unto you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. There's this part of us, and I think it's this idea of possible, because children think all things are possible. Like when I was little, I remember thinking, like, if I get high enough on the roof with the right wings, I can fly. <laughs> Thankfully I have an equal fear of heights that you know I never took that jump. But I thought about it a lot because I'm thinking it can happen. Verse 5 says, When he saw, um, and when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. L listen to this. Listen to this. Before Zacchaeus climbed that tree, Jesus knew him. And, and you may think, the people that are getting ready to say some kind of nasty things about um, Zacchaeus, make comments about Jesus because he's going into Zacchaeus' house. Jesus knew him. 
And I think we need to know that because other people would look at Zacchaeus and say their salvation is not coming to this man. Because he, he's, he's a tax collector. He's, he has separated himself from God. But Jesus knows the potential and sees us and knows us. I love this, that he didn't ask somebody what's his name. He, he looked up in the tree and says, Zacchaeus, I'm a, I must come and stay at your house. <laughs> I believe, if I read this correctly, uh, is this is the only time that Jesus invited himself to dinner. Now, he used people's house uh, for the Last Supper, and he used people's donkeys. I, I think it was hilarious, like, hey, go find, you'll find this colt tied up in this donkey, and just go get it. And his disciples were like, so you want us to steal? Like, uh, I don't know if I feel, no, 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 well, what if someone said something, just said the Lord's had use of it? Um, same thing with the room, like, God has these things in motion. But he invited himself to dinner, and he was going to eat with this man, and Another thing that you should know culturally, because, you know, we don't think a whole lot about it. Um, we'll eat dinner with people. But in this culture, breaking bread with people was a big deal. It was, it was a sign of acceptance. It was a, a sign of, like, familiarity. It, like, you wouldn't just... And this is why the Pharisees always say the things that they say when, when Jesus hangs out or has dinner with people that they deem unworthy. Verse 6. So he hurried and came down and received them joyfully. Can you imagine? For three years, Jesus' popularity has been growing and growing. Number, I mean, hundreds of people are following him around all the time. People want you know, him to heal their children or their servants. And, and they just want to have a moment with him. And Jesus is now coming to his house. Could you imagine how excited he is about this moment? Verse 7. And when they saw it, they grumbled. He has gone into the he has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. I I love. So this is most likely the religious leader, leader leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees um seeing this and they're like I love how the religious people look at other people and think have no issue saying sinner. But but never, never, because really the villain to most of the story of the gospel were the religious leaders. They were the ones that missed the Messiah. They were the ones that should have been welcoming him into the city, loving him, serving him, and they missed it. They were sealed with pride and arrogance. Remember the prayer that Jesus talked about when the Pharisees came into service and he stood and prayed aloud, thank you, Lord, that I'm not like these people. So it's so easy for us to have our little high horse. It's so easy for us to see our small things of righteousness and call other people sinners. Verse 8, Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it fourfold. Much different story than their young rich ruler. Their young rich ruler was told, because he says, what am I missing? And Jesus tells him, go sell all your stuff. Jesus, at least from what we have, hasn't said anything to Zacchaeus, but I want to come over for dinner. 
And in his joy, joy carried over into this moment, he makes a declaration that he's going to give away 50% of his wealth to the poor. I'm going to talk about these, both of these two things. And then anyone he's offended, he's going to restore it fourfold. That is the maximum. If I were to steal something from you, a possession, and then give it back to you, I would have to, in it to, I would have to give it back to you plus a fifth. If I were still an animal and the animal dies, I have to give that animal fourfold. So like that's the maximum amount if you were to take something, repent of it, and say, hey, I want to I bring restoration. This is the maximum. And he's saying that anybody, I, could, I mean, can you imagine the line that he out, had out his door for the next few weeks? Coming to him and say, yeah, you overcharged me this, and fourfold, fourfold, over and over again. And I want to I peer into Zacchaeus' heart. And this is, this is me. This is my thoughts. It's really easy to say general things. It's easy to say I'm giving 50% of my wealth. It's not easy, but it's easier to say I'm going to give 50% of my wealth. It's a, it's a gesture. It's a like, hey, I'm going to give this money. It's like, hey, if you write a big check and drop it in that toolbox-like thing over there, and you've got a lot of money still left, it, like it's a big deal. Like you can do that. There's the box over there. Um, but like it's, it, it didn't really hurt him. He still had 50% of his income, and it was just like a general. It wasn't acknowledging anything other than like, hey, God, I, I love you enough that I'm going to give 50% of my wealth to you. So that's general. And how I believe we can really see that there's heart change in Zacchaeus is he went to the personal. Because he, he didn't just say, yeah, yeah, I haven't been a good person. Like, I, I've, I've done things, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay penance or whatever. He's like, no, no, no. If, if I've done something personally to someone, I'm going to make it right. How, how difficult. Can you imagine the heart that's been changed in this man to be willing to stand face-to-face with people that he knows he's wronged and restore and restore? And restore. See, general, like to drop off a load or write a check is one thing. To look face to face with people that you've hurt and wounded and saying, I'm going to make things right, completely different story. Verse 9. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. Why did salvation come? It wasn't because he paid for it. It was because he finally connected to the source and he had heart change. He was changed because of Jesus. Salvation did not become because he was a son of Abraham. Notice this. He was already a son of Abraham. In their culture and some of our southern Christian culture, we believe that we're kind of born into salvation. Well, I've always gone to the church and I've always been in, I've always been a Christian. Like, because of our lineage, it may help us because we've been around it, but it does not give us entry into heaven. We have to personally, like Zacchaeus, have a moment. See, the others would look at him and say, uh, because, you know, whether he's a son of Abraham or not, he's not getting in. 
And Jesus is making very clear, in my opinion, that his lineage and who he was wasn't the reason why. What happened to him? Verse 10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. See, salvation came because Zacchaeus changed. See, Jesus did not come live a sinless life, die on the cross to pay the penalty for us so that we could acknowledge. Jesus came so that we could be free. And freedom comes with heart change. It didn't come with just our willingness, like I'm going to be different. And some of us, some of us in this room right now are doing everything in your power to be different. Like, I don't want to be this person. I don't want to do this thing. I don't want to live like this anymore. And you're like, I'm going to, in my own strength, in my own power, redeem. I mean, you're not saying that, but that's what you're thinking and living. That's not going to come without Jesus. Jesus is the one that empowers us. That one encounter with him, just him knowing his name and walking into his house completely changed Zacchaeus. Let's go back to Luke 18, verse 27. He said, But he said to him, What is impossible with man is possible with God. I mean, Jesus said it already, and in two chapters, we see what God can do with what was impossible. Here's a life changed. Zacchaeus was made to be the righteous one again. It was also possible for you. I don't think we would say it, but I I think a lot of us live in this room like the pre-Jesus Zacchaeus. Just conceded to do the things that he's done and give up and forfeit his life with the Father. And he probably thought that his possibility of having an encounter with the living God was ended because of his choices that he had made. When Jesus comes in the room, the possibilities are endless. There's no one in this room because of your past, regardless of what it is, that cannot receive the redemption of Jesus. If a thief on the cross, nailed to the cross beside Jesus, can have an encounter with the king, minutes, hours, that they're side by side on the cross. And Jesus can look over this man who deserved to be on the cross and say, today you and I will be in paradise. That's the possibility. Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. The invitation is not there because you change your life and become a better person and make yourself available for Jesus. The invitation is there because Jesus is looking to rescue and redeem. He is to seek and to save the lost. That's his mission. I read this uh, and I really liked it. 
disciples don't just agree, they act. And they continue to act until Jesus returns. Uh, One thing that you'll hear at Reach a lot um, is this idea that our life with Christ is, is never intended to be over. Like, we don't get enough of Jesus. We don't like, man, I got, my, I got my salvation card and my wallet and I'm good and I can do whatever. We want to surrender and submit to Jesus because through Jesus, we're going to have our best life. You want to restore and redeem your marriage? Jesus. Because if you surrender to him and he changes your heart, it will change your marriage. You want to change your relationship with your children. You want to change your work environment. You want to change your neighborhood all of these things happen because of what Jesus does in us. I think some of the most dangerous things that we can do is try to make the changes that only God can do in us and through us by ourselves. If you continue reading on into Luke 19, which I encourage you to do that, you get a, you get a parable. A parable is a story that Jesus uses to illustrate a point. And because of what happens in Zacchaeus' house, he gives this parable of the, the, the talents, the ten minus. He gives a story about uh, a king coming to uh, a kingdom, taking it, giving people in the kingdom treasure to do stuff with, and he goes away. And then he comes back and sees what is done with their treasure, and two of the three that are given in the story um, gain. They, they did something with what God gave them, with the, what the king gave them. And when he returned, he gave them back these things. And, and there was a blessing there. It, it's not in this one, but in one of the other gospels, it says this good and, uh, well done, good and faithful servant. And there's one that takes what God gave them, and I think this is what a lot of us do, and we put it in a napkin. They don't even put it in like a, a treasure box. They don't even put it in, in some, and they bury it in the dirt. And then when God comes back, and they go and dig it up, and, and, and not with joy, but kind of like, hey, I didn't take anything from you. Here's what you have. And I think just putting these two together, you have this moment, because I love the story of Zacchaeus, and I love what happens to him in the moment, but we need to have the reality of what God's calling us to do over the long term which Jesus has been gone for a long time. We're talking over 2,000 years since the cross happened and his promise to return, and we need to be prepared. Not because, I mean, of course he may come back tomorrow, but regardless of when he comes back, he is coming back. And at one point we'll stand before God and go, "This, God, this is what I did for you. And let me just tell you, and I say this in here a lot, You know, that is not the day that you take all your records and achievements from work and lay them at his feet. That is not the day that you take your bank account or even what you gave and say, God, look. That's when you say, God, my life was directed and given to you, and look what my life did in other people. I'm going to invite our worship team back up here, and I want to ask you a question. Are you willing, I'm going to use these figuratively, are you willing to run and climb to see Jesus? I think there's people in this room, I believe this, that you know Jesus has been coming near. 
Like you know he's coming into the city. There, there's pieces of your life that you can feel um, his interacting with. And my question for you as we close is what are you willing to do to see him? Like what are you willing to do to see Jesus? And then when Jesus invites himself into your house, what does that look like? We're a mess when we try to handle all this stuff ourselves. I am a mess when I try to do all these things myself. And that, that is my default. My default is like, yep, God has given me a task, and yes, I'm going to do it, and I will, I will run ahead. The wrong kind of running. <laughs> I'll run ahead. And then I'll be brought back to this place of just going, God, I need you. I want you. And so, Lord, I I just encourage you this morning, um, as you think about this story of Zacchaeus, is to put yourself in that place. And and maybe you're thinking, man, Jesus, if he saw me in the tree, he would ignore me. I think, and this figuratively again, don't go climb a tree looking for Jesus. I mean, mean, if that works for you, that's great. This is a story. Um, But I, I believe that if you climb that tree, which is a willingness to see Jesus, um, he's there. And so here at Reach, um, there is days and moments that you finally say, yes, I need you. Uh, And if that's today, the simplest thing that you can do, and I'm going to pray here in just a second, is just open your heart. I think that's literally what Zacchaeus did. I think Zacchaeus knew this was my issue. This is what I've done, and to, to make that right, I need to acknowledge. And so he acknowledged before Jesus. And so you can just think, God, this is my life. This is how I've messed it up. I need you in it. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I, I pray that you would bring back the joy. Zacchaeus had joy just for you saying his name and inviting yourself to this house. And Lord, I pray that you would bring back joy to us. I pray that you would give us eyes to see. That you would give us a willingness to to do that thing, to run and to climb that tree, just to have a, a picture of you, to see you. But I pray that more than anything else, when you invite yourself into our house, Lord, we, we welcome you with joy. Lord, I pray that you would change our hearts. I pray for those in this room that have thought over and over again, this is impossible. I have tried over and over again to free myself or to do this differently or to save this. Lord, I pray that today would be a day of surrender and that freedom would come where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Lord, we need you. We need you more than ever. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, be sure to visit us online at reachcommunitychurch.com.